Welcome to Little Jobs, the sister podcast of Enroute. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. I want to start with two paragraphs from an op-ed written by Ruth Pollard, which appeared in Bloomberg. She's writing about the status of women in Afghanistan as the U.S. prepares to pull out of the country after 20 years. This is what she writes. There is so much at stake. The generation of Afghan women who have taken their place in society are now watching that space shrink before their eyes. They entered public life as lawmakers, local governors, doctors, lawyers, teachers, and public administrators working for two decades to help create a civil society and generate opportunities for those who come after them. Now the Taliban are going door to door in some areas, compiling lists of women and girls aged between 12 and 45 years for their fighters to forcibly marry. Women are again being told they cannot leave the house without a male escort. They cannot work, study, or dress as they please. Schools and colleges are being shut and businesses destroyed. The exodus of those who can afford to flee, the country is growing day by day. And this from the Wall Street Journal. After the insurgents in late June took the Rustak district of the northern province of Takar, a senior local Taliban figure addressed the residents in the mosque during Friday prayers. All girls over the age of 15 and widows younger than 40 should be married to insurgent fighters, he told the congregation, according to a local man who was present. The man was later summoned and ordered to hand over his 15-year-old daughter. He said in a telephone interview that he fled the area and was trying to make his way to Kabul from the province, whose capital fell to the Taliban on Sunday. Experts said the openly declared demand for women for their fighters showed the Taliban had grown even more extreme than they were when their regime was in power in the 90s. The practice shows the influence of the Islamic State, which forced sexual slavery on women on a massive scale in Syria and Iraq. The Taliban, the extremist group that ran the country from 1996 to 2001, is on the march and so far have taken two-thirds of the country. Some think that Kabul, the capital, will fall in less than a month. Troops from the United States are being sent to protect and assist in helping employees flee the country. U.S. Embassy employees flee the country. As I said in one podcast, history doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. And what's going on in Kabul is starting to look like Saigon, in the last days as the North Vietnamese army advanced towards the South Vietnamese capital in 1975. What's going to happen in Afghanistan? Will the Taliban be in control of the entire country? If so, what does that mean for the U.S. and for the world? And what does that mean for the Biden administration? In June, I spoke to Andrew Donaldson, and we talked about the Southern Baptist Convention, but at the end, we spent a a few minutes talking about the pullout of U.S. troops from Afghanistan. Andrew served in both Iraq and Afghanistan and shared what he thought was happening. So here is Andrew Donaldson talking about leaving Afghanistan. Well, one um, quick question that I wanted to ask of you is um, related to Afghanistan and um, We know that coming in September is supposed to be the date that uh, we pull out of Afghanistan entirely. There has been a lot of 
worry about what will happen after um, that happens. And um, I'm hoping to talk to someone next month kind of about that upcoming withdrawal. And what does that mean? But um, knowing that you um, served in Afghanistan, I'm curious to, to get your opinion of what does it mean for uh, total withdrawal? Um, are there any other ways between either having the military stay there or and, or and leaving? Is there some way of kind of working that out? Yeah, it could have been what we've done the last two and a half, three years, which is basically very small scale. Um, you continue to do the coin, the counterinsurgency stuff. Uh, you can continue to prop up the government. You have, you know, a a pretty comparatively speaking, understand a comparatively light footprint of people in in country, uh, and you lose ten to ten to fifty guys a year because that's what we've been doing. It's been down in the twenties lately, and I'm talking combat deaths, not you know, you always have accidents and things like this. Uh, and you, is it worth? 20 to 50, 10 to 50 American lives every year to keep doing what we're doing and, and just maintain a status quo that frankly isn't working for anybody anyway. That's a, that's a big question. That's a harsh question. Like how many, how is it worth 30 lives, 50 lives, whatever the American lives are. And remember you're only one car bomb from 50, 60 casualties or whatever the situation is it worth it? The American people consciously either by omission or commission have decided it's not. It's not worth it. That's what that's there's no appetite for us to be there. That's just the practical issue. What does that mean? Are we going to get, you know, Hanoi part two with the the collapse of the government? And people forget Hanoi was two or three years after we left. It took it took time Uh, and there was outside forces and all that. Uh, But we're not Pollyanna. We understand that, you know, they're going to outweigh us. And we've known for years and what it's been 20. God almighty what, 22 years, 23 years? It's, um, I, I don't even know how to parse it because we, we vaguely know what's going to happen. There's going to be death, chaos, and a regression. We know the little bit of human rights, especially for things like women uh, and uh, the tribal, and they don't have a great, uh, they don't have a great diversity in, in race and things, but they do have tribal diversities of and we all we talk about travel and politics travel in the real world is a very very ugly brutal thing and they got it and they've had it for thousands of years um we're surrendering and withdrawing without achieving an objection that's just the harsh truth of it uh are they going to stand on their own i hope so i don't think so i think at some point you're going to have a civil war it's going to be what it's always been one, one thing that struck me so much about Afghanistan was you go to somewhere like Iraq, it's a civilization. There's freeways, there's four lane, what we would call interstate highways, there's buildings, there's irrigate. Outside of the cities in Afghanistan, there's nothing. Like they didn't have, mm-hmm. a lot of those places don't even have roads. And I grew up in the country, man. I, I was like, there, there's nothing here. Um, I, I feel mostly for the people. Uh, cause it's going to be a humanitarian disaster, especially for women, because we, we know the ideology of things like the Taliban that's going to come in and things like girls going to school and all that, that, um, it's a lot of it is our own fault. Let's, let's be very clear here. There has been an, a tremendous amount of grifting and profiteering off this conflict. Uh, we have spent trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars that were completely unnecessary to the actual effort that we stated that we are there for. 
Um, so this is, this is gravity to me. The, this is what we've known since about four or five years into it. This was going to be the ending because nobody wanted to, nobody wanted to stop the ending, for lack of a better term. They all knew it was falling apart. They knew that all we were going to do was surge and come back and surge and come back. And we've done it for 20 years. At some point, it had to end. Uh, and it's, they've made the decision it's going to end now. I don't even blame the people that made the decision. Because, uh, we can't do this forever. And it's going to be, be ugly. And at some point down the road, it's going to bite us in the tail. I have no doubt. Uh, maybe 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, it's going to come back to haunt us. But here we are as somebody that was there and has had friends there. And, you know, I, I have such mixed feelings on it, but the overwhelming feeling on it is just sadness mm -hmm. because we could have done a lot more good than we did. Um, the good that we have done, I fear is going to get wiped away very, very quickly. And then you're into this thing of, was it worth it? I, I don't want to ever get nihilistic and say, no, it wasn't worth it at all because there, there's real people's lives that were bettered and saved and all that. Once it's all wiped away, if it descends into chaos, like I fear, I hope I'm wrong. I, I fear it's going to. Those questions are only going to get louder. And I think history is going to judge America very, very harshly. Uh, that if, if you're going to do it, do it. Uh, we didn't do it. We did what we wanted to do. And then we played footsies with it for 15, 16 years and because we didn't want to admit, we didn't want to admit what was happening. Uh, so that's, that's, it, I hate to say it is what it is, but the, this is the bed we made and now we're going to lay in it and now we're going to have to live with it. And we're going to have, we're going to have some reconciliation. There's that word again with the, with the wider world on, because we, we took a prestige hit. We took a manpower hit. We took a, a human cost hit and, it's Afghanistan's people going to pay for it and we're going to have to live with it. So it sounds like basically, and I, this is actually something I haven't heard people say as much, but it sounds like it's a lost opportunity that there was something that we could have done, but it just, we didn't really want to do it. And, and hindsight's 2020. So I don't want to ever say that we could have done, we could have done better than we did. I think, um, once you root out, you know, we, we had the Taliban push back into the wasteland areas and, you know, you could secure the cities pretty much in perpetuity. You, mm -hmm. you gotta remember, we have troops in Germany and Japan right now. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, there's a lot of cultural differences and those are, and we, but, you know, we didn't have a Marshall plan for Afghanistan. We had a KBR, <laughs> not to pick on KBR, it's a fine company, but you get the idea. We, yeah. we had a, we had a, we had a, uh, industrial military complex plan of, oh, well, we'll just politically do what we have to do and do. And then you have all these outside financial factors and then nobody wants to step back and say we lost. We didn't lost. We frittered it away because we didn't have a better plan than to just keep doing what we were doing. And while you're doing that, you know, the, the enemy is just waiting you out because they don't need massive infrastructures. They don't need political pressures. They don't have to win an election every four years. They can just sit up in those mountains and keep you know, training the next generation to hate you even more than the last generation. And they're just going to wait. And now they're going to get their day. And could it have been done differently? I think so. I think you could have done a lot of things differently. Uh, does it matter right now? Nope. Because you're going to have a, I fear you're going to have a bloodbath. Uh, I think it's very fair for us to say that our, our government and military leadership has a lot of answering to do 
Um, and they're already doing this. I know, I know the, the military leadership has, you know, they, they're teaching it. The, the military does learn uh, from their mistakes. We remember the military we have now came out of the mistakes of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the military was in a bad place in the seventies. I just talked to our mutual friend, John McCumber the other day. That's the, he was in, in the mid to late seventies. And he, t- he, he's like, it was, it was an amazing transformation, how much it got better because they learned the lesson. I hope we learn the lesson and we come back with a better military culturally. Not we can kill anybody in the world pushing a button in Nevada. That's that's not the problem. When when where we go, when we go, what are we there for? What's the goal? And how are we going to have partnerships to make sure it holds up when we leave? That's the stuff we got to get better on. I hope we get a better military out of this, and I hope we get a better country out of this, and I hope we get a better world out of this because this is a heavy price to pay. We better make it worth it at least in learning the lesson since we didn't want to prevent it from happening and getting bad in the first place. I hope that makes sense, but that's, that's how mm, I'm, it does. that's where I'm at. And I do, I try not to think about it too much to be honest with you, but that that's where I've come out on it is okay. Now the price has been paid, you know, the mistakes made, the price has been paid. Can we make that price worth it in something better down the road? I hope so. I sure hope so, but it's going to take some better leadership than what we got right now. Well, I want to thank Andrew for taking the time to talk to me. And I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Please leave a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. You can learn more about Little Jaunts and Enroute by going to our website at enroutepodcast.org. That's it for this episode. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Take care and Godspeed.